when you're moving into something and trying to go into another area, whatever it is, there's a lot of growth that has to happen, but it's very easy to just kind of give into pressure and things like that. But I think as long as you're gritty, you have that thing in mind and you can persist through everything, it almost always works out. Now, if it doesn't, it's still a lesson that you can learn and move on. But in our case, it worked out. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we have the pleasure to bring to you Jeffrey Donis, or fondly known as Donis Brothers, because there are three of them. We only have one on the show right now. I've known Donis Brothers since probably two and a half years now. Actually, I won't give into the story when they used to be wholesalers. I'll let Jeffrey here tell the story. Hey, Jeffrey, thank you for being on the show, man. Welcome. Hey, Sikhet. Thanks for having me. It seems like it's been a long time since we've known each other, and it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Well, Jeffrey, let's kick this off. So as I tell our listeners always, the name of our show is Migrate to Wealth. The most important word there is migrate, which essentially is intentional transformation. Why don't you give listeners a brief introduction of who you are and kind of like what your migration journey has been, and more importantly, your migration journey into real estate has been? For sure. I got started in real estate about three years ago with my two brothers. Initially, kind of, it's funny, but my mom is actually the beginning of our story, right? So I I grew up with a single mother. She migrated here from Guatemala when she was 18, came here by herself, started just by really hustling. She was cleaning houses and she still is today, but eventually she moved from New York down to North Carolina, which is where we were born and raised. So we grew up here and see... I was actually born in Queens, but moved here very early on. And then eventually, fast forward into my college days, I was a college freshman three years ago when I first heard about real estate. My brothers and I got started in the wholesaling space initially. It was just through podcasts and YouTube videos that we heard about single family and what you could do, but we were just struggling to scale. So that was the issue. And we realized on a podcast that we were listening to, we heard about apartment syndication. So all in all, eventually decided to join a mastermind group called Think Multifamily, which I was just telling you, I was at their conference this past mm-hmm. weekend. And since joining that group, all those steps were lots of leaps that we had to take and different, I guess, things you have to learn in every single aspect, different people you have to meet. It's always scary to make those leaps of faith, whether it was me going from college to into single family full time, and then eventually into the multifamily space. It's always some type of fear that you're facing. You have to overcome it. And we're still doing that on every deal that we do. But that's a little bit about kind of the background in a very quick summary. Yeah, Jeffrey, and thank you again for sharing that story. And it's a perfect immigration story where someone in your family made a bold choice, in this case, your mom, to move to this country without a whole lot of resources behind her, but just through pure hustle and hard work, made it to a point where the three sons are now doing multifamily investments. But kudos to you and your mom, man. Appreciate you sharing that story. So Jeffrey, let's go back a few steps if you can. I know your journey and your brother's journey, and I wasn't sure. I know I've known Kenneth for a long time as well, so I'm not so sure if you were part of the team. I'm assuming you were. You started your journey as wholesaling single family. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Give our listeners a little bit of insight into what is wholesaling and why did you pick that as your first niche? And then why did you migrate out of single family into the world of family? Yeah. So wholesaling, what we were doing was initially put it into a story format. We were in our dorm rooms. I was a college freshman and we had heard about wholesaling on the podcast, as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. videos. So initially with everything that we do that's new, we like to learn a little bit about it just to get a foundational base of knowledge. So eventually 
we realized wholesaling was when you started doing some type of direct to seller outreach. So you were contacting a seller, whether that was cold calling, door knocking, email blasts or whatever. You're getting in touch with homeowners and you're trying to get their property under contract at a certain price where you can then sell it for more using a different contract to an end buyer. Now for us, we would get it at a certain price, put it on an assignment or purchase and sale agreement, and then sell that piece of paper to the end buyer, typically a fix and flipper. You might've bought some before in the past from us. I think we were looking at that. I know some of my friends had bought from you guys. So that's how we met you and we were just starting networking. Eventually we're doing like 15 deals the first year, which is good, but we were spending so much money on marketing, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, to go direct to seller. It just seemed like such a hassle and we were working all day. Once we heard about apartment syndication, since we're always, we're lifelong learners and we're always to a podcast and things like that. We heard about apartment syndication. We realized that, okay, I don't have to have all of the money that it takes to buy an apartment complex. I don't have to use all of my own money, especially if you don't have any, right? Even yeah. that's not even an option, which is our case. We didn't have that much. So now that's how we learned about multifamily. It was through a podcast and Grant Cardone YouTube videos. Yeah. A lot of people don't like him, but I think he was an inspiration for us at the time and still is in a lot of ways. So eventually we decided to join a mastermind group because we were also learned early on that it's important to surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to do. So that's how we ended up joining this group that we joined and that group. I'll stop there, but that group is the reason we've been able to do deals up to this point. Yeah, no, I think this is good. So help us understand how long ago was a mastermind did you were you part of and kind of like what does your deal structure looks like right now? Like how many deals have you done? What does that look like? Yeah, so we joined the Think Multifamily group about two years ago. uh, And the way that our deal flow came was just networking initially. We were going to conferences that the group held. Also on the group, there was like on the membership portal, you can kind of go into it. There's a directory page with everyone's information. And I think there's certain things that make you stand out in a group like that. First, I just started calling every single person on the directory page. They had their phone number, I'd reach out to them. And that's, I had the cold calling skill. That's why I think everything happens for a reason. It scared me to do things like that, but I had already built that muscle. So I cold called everyone, try to get on as many calls as I could. Once I met them in person, I was furthering that relationship to the point where eventually when a few people had deals, I already had them in my network. So once I reached out to them, just mm-hmm. followed up, uh, they let me know that they had an opportunity uh, in certain locations in the Southeast that we were really keen on. So we ended up finding a way to bring them value on the capital side, as well as we participate in other ways. But the first four deals that we did, we did as co-general partners, which is not the same thing as being a lead sponsor, the lead one. The lead sponsor is typically the person that finds the deal, and they're typically calling all the shots. The co-GP is typically playing a little bit more of a, I'd say, smaller role in the deal, but they're still active to get started, especially if you're new. I'm just trying to find a way to bring a lead sponsor some type of value yeah. which is what we did in the first four. So we co-GP'd so far on four deals, over a thousand units as co-GPs. And then the fifth deal we closed on yesterday. I can't talk too much about it. Uh, that's the fifth one. And that one's actually as a lead GP. So congratulations. We- well, leaps and downs, man, in the next two years, as expected from Tony's brothers. Kudos. <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, so what was going through your mind? Of course, you've done four deals before you went through your latest as a lead sponsor which is essentially there's somebody who found the deal, who put the team together, raised the capital, structured the loan and everything. Right? You're basically, your hands in everything and then the mm-hmm. asset management piece. So help us right. understand your psyche of when you were going through that. 
or your brother's psyche because I know you're yeah. one team. Help us understand how far ago, I know you can't talk much about the deal, so we'll leave the specifics yeah. out, but talk in general terms. What was going through your mind? Before we decided that we were going to try to take down our own deal, I think everyone faces limiting beliefs and the imposter syndrome is real, yeah. especially in space. So I was at an event and I was like talking to this group of people. My, my brothers weren't run around me. And I said, we're starting to look for our own deal as a lead GP. kind of manifesting it. And I said that I mean, we're going to manifest it. And yeah. one guy rattled, who, who's been doing a lot of deals, he's been in the industry for longer than I have, but he hadn't done a lead GP role at the time. He hadn't done that yet. And he said, do you think you're ready for that? And in my head, I realized, like, I, I never even thought it was something you could be ready for. I talked to so many people that were lead general partners. And that's the importance of surrounding yourself with people who are doing what you want to do. Because I was hanging out with these lead GPs on their own deals. And I wasn't always a partner on those, but I was just always spending time with them talking to them. And I realized that they're normal people. Yes, right. they're very smart and they're very educated. They have a lot of experience and they definitely had more money than I had. But I just saw myself in so many ways doing exactly what they were doing. So it kind of just smashed that limiting belief. And eventually we just decided to go for it. It was definitely hard. It's been hard throughout this process. You'd think like being in the with the other team members, because we're not the only lead GPs on this one, you'd think there's like certain things that I guess coming from my mindset it being so new, you just don't know what to expect. Yeah. The one thing that I've learned is as long as you're persistent and you can be gritty, you'll get it done. Right now it was difficult because of the economy and all the things that were going on. Right. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do, and there's a lot of sleepless nights because you have earnest money on the line and you're far away from the finish line and you kept getting rejected. But as I mentioned, everything happens for a reason. And in the order that it happened for me on my journey with cold calling and single family, I was facing rejection. You're used to hearing no's. So there's nothing personal about it. Uh, I'm sure that helped. I'm sure it was hard when somebody said no to you because I know I've faced no's a lot in my own life. It's never easy, but that's where the growth is. Mm, exactly. And I think we did have to become a certain individual over the last six months. I had to grow and become the person that could take on this role and succeed at it. So I personally know I've grown so much. And I think it's awesome to reflect on experience like that. So when you say like migrating, I think... When you're moving into something and trying to go into another area, whatever it is, there's a lot of growth that has to happen. And I think if you understand that going into it, you'll lean into it more so than it's literally like being a victim or a victor. Like you, you obviously in the arena, but it's very easy just kind of give into pressure and things like that. But I think as long as you're gritty and you have that thing in mind and you can persist through everything, it almost always works out. Now, if it doesn't, I think that's still a lesson that you can learn and move on. But in our case, it worked out. So isn't it funny? I'm sure Jeffrey, you'll agree with that. And if you don't, please let me know. Or even if you do, let me know. When we all started, we all started at some point from zero, right? Kind of multifamily. And within very quick months or weeks, We all understood the mechanics. What step one is this? Step two is this? Step 10 is this? Or whatever. How many number of steps you have? Everything is broken down for me, like a small formula. Right. And everything makes sense. And now you're like, I'm ready. Yeah. But you're not ready. Right. <laughs> Until you do it, you're not ready. And even if you do it, doesn't mean the next deal you're going to be ready. So you're always exactly. facing that same doubt, that same imposter syndrome, the same fear. Yeah. Did I just get lucky on the last one? Yeah, that's And, well, the next one's going to work out, right? But I think it's just that I personally believe that that thought we're talking about, hey, you know what? I may feel like an imposter is coming out of a concern because yeah. you actually want to be genuine. You want to do the right thing for you. And right. that pressure that we're putting on ourselves as a sponsor 
leans into us potentially being an imposter. But it's not mm. really imposter because the way you and I are doing is very different than what somebody, right. somebody else may do it. We have invested our own capital, our time, yeah. our resources, our whole life into yeah. this sports called multifamily. We're not in it. I mean, you're not just going to finish this deal and then tomorrow disappear and exactly. say, I'm done with multifamily. This is what you're going to do for the right. foreseeable future. Now, you may pivot and you may expand your portfolio, but you're not doing it. I think that imposter syndrome is actually very productive and very helpful yeah. if you have put 100% of your force behind making sure that you're doing right by your stakeholders, and in this case, predominantly investors. Yeah, and I think it takes a lot of action, regardless of what perspective you're looking at it from, especially as a limited partner when you're doing something new. A lot of our offerings are not really out there. It's not mainstream, right? right. It's the opposite. And I think if, when anything that's new, there's a lot you can learn from it. So how do you overcome that fear that everyone faces? Education, in my opinion. So either going to conferences, reading books, listening to podcasts like this, I think mm -hmm. that's a great for everyone in the audience, regardless of whether you're on the active side or the passive side. Uh, the most yeah. important thing is build your education. So help us understand, right, to your perspective. I have a very strong opinion about that, but I would love to hear yours before I share, you share mine. You may already know mine. Because in previous talks, it may have come yeah. up. Active versus passive. Everyone I know wants to go act. And everyone I know, they're always talking about, hey, you know what? You make more money than me as an active. Now, I see a smile already. I think help us understand your perspective, right? Now that you've done at least 5D, four of them as a co-GP and one of them as a lead sponsor, help us understand your perspective. What does it mean to be active? And also help us understand the compensation structure that's there is there for a reason. Not to take away from the passive investors, but essentially right. keep ourselves incentivized to continue doing it. So I'll shut up, give me your perspective, and then we'll continue the conversation. No, for sure. So I would say the difference between the active investor means you have control over the deal, whether you're in comparison to what the limited partner has, is just purely passive. You're not necessarily making any decisions in regards to the business plan. So that's like a simple definition and difference between the active and the passive side. Now, personally, I think what you're referring to is who wouldn't want to be passive, in my opinion? Like, why would I not? want to just place my capital into a deal and it gives me a good return and then I go do it again. I think a lot of limited partners, if they've never done what we do before, mm -hmm. they don't understand how work goes into it. And it's all day for me on deals that I've worked on. It's literally all day, gruesome work and going to properties, having conversations with investors, getting on asset management calls. And regardless of what it is, like it just takes a lot out of you, right? Yeah. Um, energy, a lot of focus and it can be somewhat draining. I think it's worth it in the end because this is what we chose, right? It's not like someone's forcing us to do this. But on the passive side, my goal eventually is to be purely passive and then yeah. just a full-time investor. Like that's exactly what I'd want to do. So if you don't love real estate, there's no need to actually go and be on the active side unless you think it's a passion of yours. I'm assuming with Saket, that's why you do it. It's probably yeah, because- that's exactly what it is, right? Because where I am in my state in my life, of course, I have several decades ahead of you. It's not for the money. It's really because I love it. And of course, I will take the money. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never say no to the money. But it's not because someone's forcing me to do that. Because I've had corporate jobs in the past where you're dragging your feet in every morning yeah. and doing real estate is very different for me. When I'm talking to people, because also you're a problem solver as a syndicator, right. as a capital raiser, you're trying to connect the dots for people, which is not that apparent, but in a yeah. way, which is more coming from your own heart, right? Because if you're not passionate about it, eventually you're going to just start lying or start making stuff up that's not going to be right for in the best interest of the investor, right? So you really, really have to like to do that like any other business, right? 
You'd never start a business if you're not passionate about it because eventually your lack of passion is going to show up because you won't be involved. Another thing I think different, I was never in corporate America or anything like that, but you have the luxury in real estate and as just an investor, whether you're on the active or the passive side, to work with people that you actually like spending Correct. time with. But that's what I like. Really, one of my favorite things is I get to partner with people who I would go out and just spend some time with. Yeah. I wouldn't even real estate. We have that great connection and i don't i agree i think real estate just binds us together it doesn't mean that's the only thing we talk about because exactly. a lot of friends end up saying like that's all you do that's all you talk <laughs> about that's all i'm like nah I, I got other interests it's just that this is my passion it's gonna show yeah. up you yeah. know the event we had at belize it was amazing because mm. so many like-minded people were yeah. there together and kind of talking about stuff that you usually won't talk to your friends and family because they will they will consider you being crazy but this is what keeps us going yeah that's the, one of the blessings that i've learned early on in the business is I have the luxury of choosing who I spend my time with. And Correct. I think that's people's goal at the end of the day, right? Is to spend their most valuable asset with and doing what they want. And that's the yeah. whole goal is behind investing in real estate. Correct. No, I agree. I think life's too short. We all have an expression that they, we just don't know when. And hopefully it's long enough, but you never know. So might as well enjoy doing what you do instead of suffering it. Jeffrey, help us understand. I know you talked about getting over the mindset, limited mindset through education. What other muscles have you developed? Because education is just a stepping stone, right? Because there's so many educated morons that we all see around us where they're very educated, but they're in their head, right? Yeah. So education doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to get over your limiting belief. So what are some of the things that you and your brothers employ for yourself and the company and the family around you? Make sure that you're building a muscle and what is that muscle? Yeah, for sure. So one thing that I learned in Belize actually with Tom Millwright two years ago, he mentioned this one line. He said, if it doesn't have a return on investment, don't spend it. And he was referring to business, but I yeah. look at it now it's like a muscle. I'm like, okay, I just I spend this money here. Like if it's, it's hard, I guess sometimes to see whether or not it's going to be a return, like in a literal sense oh. or type of energy return. But I think that any person in the audience that's listening, that's something that I really took away from the last few years and moving forward in all aspects of my life. I look kind of return am I going to get out of this, whether it's going to save me some type of time, I help me some of my time or give me a good return. Uh, and I look at it from a business standpoint as well. If you're looking to build your business, and especially when you're new, the only reason you should be spending money on something is if it's going to have a return on investment. And certain things at certain points in your business don't make sense until you're at a point where you can invest that. I think I'll just add on to that just to make sure we clarify that. It's not just always, the ROI is not always calculated on money. ROI could be intangible, your branding, right? Your relationship. Right. There could be a lot of different things or building your awareness campaign. They may need to spend money, but you may not be able to understand or quantify the metric up. It may take some time before the result shows up. You have to be very, very savvy, very thinking about it the correct way. Building a relationship with the brokers, it's a long yeah. game. It's not like you go to a coffee with somebody tomorrow and they're going to give it to you the deal next day. That's just not yeah. how the world works. I appreciate that. Now help us yeah. also understand like how do you brothers keep your brotherhood and company not getting intertwined? Like what do you guys do? Because you see companies where three or four different partners, but they don't necessarily have a broad relationship there because they sort of strengthen each other's weakness. How do mm -hmm. you guys fit into this whole puzzle together? And what roles is everyone, is everyone playing? Yeah, yeah. So we obviously grew up together. We were not as close as a three growing up. Like I played a lot of soccer and I hung out with my older brother and then my twin hung out with my sister a lot. So we were very different. Well, I didn't know you guys had a sister too. Yeah, wow. we do. She's not in real estate, but we do. And yeah, she's older. So like 20, 28 now. Okay. And we're obviously 24 to 21. So different age groups. I wasn't going to give your age away, but you did. 
That's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret until now. But yeah, man, my brothers and I growing up together with our single mom, it gave us that unique and like similar perspective on life, money, and what we want out of it. Obviously, we come from the same upbringing. So initially, like money was scarce growing up. And I think we all obviously we, we share that. And we saw that our mom was struggling and she still yeah. does the same thing. Our goal is to retire her. So that's what unites us. Initially, we were like, okay, how do we make money to help my mom? That was the goal. And obviously, as you educate yourself, you realize, well, let's not be so selfish. Like, we're going to achieve this goal. How can we help other people? And that's kind of cool. I think that's the cool thing about entrepreneurship is you quickly realize that you can fix your own life and sort of kind of design it the way you want. We call it life by design. And then you can start helping other people do it. And then outside of that, you can just continue giving back. So that's the goal. But in regards to our brotherhood, we get along. We have a similar sense of humor. And we spend a lot of time together. So over time, we start to build this unconditional love and bond that... I think benefits the business because I can say whatever I want, right. regardless of how it sounds. Like I don't have to like pamper it or prepare, prepare what I say. I just say it off the dome right immediately. And if it comes out bad, they'll just get mad and they'll get over it in like 10 minutes. That's <laughs> 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 that happen. And I've always yeah. thought if I'm working with other partners, I always think of twice about what I say, which I yeah. think can like, I mean, it must play some type of effect. On I think it's, uh, so it's, Probably not the best partnership if you have to watch what you say. I agree. I mean, of course, I'm sure you're not being rude, but you're, right. to, you're, you're being free with your mind, yeah. but saying it in a way that doesn't offend anybody. So right. I think yeah. as long as you're doing the same way with a partnership, that's good. But if the partnership ends up being some partnership where you're actually scared of yeah. speaking your mind, it's probably not the best partnership to begin with. It's just like a marriage, right? If you're always yeah. scared or any relationship, if you're always scared of your partner blowing up, eventually right. that relationship is going to just grow apart. 100%. Just like the same thing in any partnership. But I see, to your point, I do see a lot of place, a lot of partners where they're not on the same page. Right, but yeah. Unfortunately, they can't sever the relationship, right? And that's where we say that a real estate deal, especially a multifamily deal, it's a three to five years of marriage, at yeah. least, at least, yeah. Given especially given the circumstances now. So if you can't see yourself with that person for three years, don't get in the bed with them. Yeah, because uh, in that case, the investors who are your children, they're not going to be that forgiving as your children. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, and especially as an investor or a passive in a deal, I think it's important to understand what the communication is Correct. before going into it, like what to expect and to see if those meet your expectations. Like if Correct. they don't line up, then I think that's something that you might want to think about because not everyone's as communicative as perhaps you'd like them to be. And then also if it's too communicative, like you don't necessarily need all these updates. Correct. We should let them know and set that up beforehand. But I see it's a fine balance. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't talk about that. Like that's some one of the things that isn't on everyone's checklist. What kind of deals do you guys look for? Where are you looking? What's your criteria? Yeah, so we look at a hundred to two hundred fifty units, B class, nineteen eighties vintage renewer in Atlanta and North Carolina markets like Greensboro, Winston Salem, Raleigh Durham, and then Charlotte. That's what we're looking at moving forward. In the past it's been a little bit older vintage and C class, but Moving forward for next year, that's what we're looking for. What do you see happening in the market right now with the capital markets in a turmoil? What do you see? How are you looking at the deals? Yeah, so our criteria has changed because of what's going on. So obviously, having done a deal recently, we realize how hard it is to get debt and to get the right leverage on deals as well as to raise capital. It's difficult. So we're more picky with our deal criteria. That's why we've fine-tuned it down from 100 to, from 100 to 250 units. B class in B area or A area, 1980s vintage or newer. The way that we learned that 
was by talking to a lot of people, right. talked to a lot of our capital partners throughout the last deal and realized what they're looking for. So on the next deal, we know exactly what we find. And if we find it, we won't have an issue or the same issues that we had on this one. But I think in regards to like my forecast, I'm no expert in when it comes to the economy, but I do think that eventually interest rates will come down. I would probably have to give you a guess. I think Q3 of next year, sure. we'll start some type of decrease in interest rates. They obviously can't go up forever, but I think it's an opportunity because there's a lot less buyers in the market, which makes me really excited because if I can get one done now, then I mean, it's only going to get better for us and I'm only yeah, growing. I up. think you're closing a deal in a very tough time. So I empathize with that because I'm working on a deal right now in Myrtle Beach myself and it's capital raising has changed because there's a oh. lot of angst amongst you. You have to go after the right, the right deal, yeah. the right team, with the right metrics, with the right sort of underwriting. And before the time could have helped you, the market could have helped you, right? The rising tide takes care of all. Now, when the tide goes down, we will know who is swimming naked, as Mr. Buffett says, and I've paraphrased the entire thing. But it's really, really more important to be more careful, but mm-hmm. not be overly cautious because then you end up doing no deals. Yeah. And I think there's too many opportunities personally for me to sit on the sidelines. And that's what you said. I have a, a really good team alongside me, partners who are way more experienced than I am, and they've gone through multiple cycles. So I go in a lot less fearless than if I were to do it by myself, which is why I think with the right operators is essential. Awesome. Well, Jeff, we're going coming towards the end of the show. So we'll go towards the last two questions. Now, I usually ask people, what insights do you have for your 20-year-old self? In your case, that question doesn't apply because you are 20-year-old self. So we'll ask the question differently. If you were to go back several years ago when you restarted this whole journey, what is some insights that you would give to your younger self, which is going to help them migrate into life much more seamless. Yeah, I'd say two things. The first one is being willing to sacrifice things in the short term for long-term gratification. And I think a lot of, I used to struggle with delayed gratification. Didn't even know what that was until a few years ago. So just understanding that at an early age would have really helped me. And then on top of that, I mentioned it already. There's a book called Grit, which is actually right behind me. And it talks about that's the number one thing that's common in any successful person is that they have that trait, which is grit. And we'll include the link of the book in the show notes below. Very good. It just talks about like in a Navy SEAL school, I think it was like a Navy Academy. The people that would actually go in were not always the one that were the most highly ranked. Initially, it's just the people that had that trait of being gritty. And as an athlete, I used to grow up playing soccer. As an entrepreneur, the number one trait that I still see and that I saw myself going through these last few deals was as long as I was persistent and regardless of what like the the obstacles and the... We were facing, we just continued to persevere. We always ended up winning. And the one thing that I always kept in my mind was I'm not going to quit. I'm going to go as hard as I can every day. So those two things. And I've developed that over the last few months, really. But if I would have known that a few years ago, I think I would have been more successful at my sport and school, et cetera. Awesome. Now, last question. What is your one wish and desire for the humanity to migrate towards? Yeah, I would say financial education, which is something that Robert Kiyosaki talks about. I think I didn't know anything about financial literacy at all. In high school, they don't teach you that. Middle school, I mean, they don't talk about it at all. So I think that's one thing. I think that would help a lot of people come out of poverty. Awesome. So grit and financial education. That's awesome. Well, Jeffrey, this has been an exciting conversation. I know you and I can talk at length and we have done that before, but I want to just be respectful for your time. Where can our listeners and our audience get hold of you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, they can find us at Donis Brothers on all social media platforms. And then feel free to check out our checklist uh, if you're interested in just knowing what to look for before investing in any type of passive investment. It's 
donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash checklist. Awesome. That's www.donisinvestments.com slash checklist. Great. Yep. And then the uh, last one is the Real Estate Monopoly is our podcast. So if you're interested in just checking us out on there, feel free to. You do have to listen to that show. It's an amazing, you'll, you'll see the hustle these guys have put together. Well, again, Jeffrey, thanks a lot for the conversation, man. I really appreciate it. I know you're coming back from a conference, so you're probably super tired as well. Thank you for making the time. Thank you. It's again, I appreciate you having me on. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.